Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Bud Light. Bud Light is all about bringing friends together, and we are wondering which unlikely pairs will team up this season on Game of Thrones, seeing so many old friends and new ones come together. For example, in the past episode, we saw John and Arya get back together. That was pretty cool. They would definitely be having a Bud Light together, assuming Arya is of responsible drinking age. That's 21. Bud Light, enjoy responsibly, 21 and up. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, he was told there would be elephants. It's Andy Greenwald. Wow, this is so good to be back. Here we are, Studio One. The Hepburn to my Tracy. The Verdon to your Fosse? Let's keep it going, man. Let's keep moving. Uh, Andy, it's so good to see you. We have the two major tentpoles of popular culture to talk about today. Game of Thrones and Star Wars. Star Wars had its trailer release full of Friday news dump last week. It's great that we have Thrones back, that we have Star Wars back. Uh I did want to spend at least 20 minutes of the podcast talking about something I saw on the YouTube fans Reddit. (laughs) Because, you know, I like to take a moment. Did you really? Who oh, no. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about the biggest things in the world. It would just be such a flex if we were just like, <laughs> my favorite thing about minute 17 of last night's Barry was... You know, Chris, I've been reading Larry McMurtry novels, <laughs> and I really... Dude, if you want to do a McMurtry pod... We'll do a McMurtry pod, but... I'm on page 280 of an 800-page Larry McMurtry yeah. book. And let me tell you something. Yeah. Didn't need to be that long. Okay. But I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. I'm reading moving on. Anyway. Chris uh, is doing a McMurtry pod. Uh, all right. We're not going to do a McMurtry pod. We're not going to do a Barry pod. We're not going to do a Fosse Verdon pod. We're going to talk about Game of Thrones, and we're going to talk about Star Wars. So let's start with Game of Thrones. I think we have to. Okay. Game of Thrones is back, as is, by the way, Talk the Thrones. Great shirt choice by you. Thank you. Great table. Thanks. The table's incredible. Uh, shout out to everybody who works on that show. It looks really Because they make good. me look 34. You know, like, well, that's 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 our our, our wonderful Ada, who is our Ada does a great specialist. job. Ricky, CJ, everybody behind the scenes, Steph. Um, it's just been Sean, you, Jason Gallagher, everybody working on the show is just killing it. Though my watch has ended, mm. and I'm no longer with you on the wall. I know, but there's like an empty space right there where somebody's supposed to weigh in about peak TV. It's actually the pelt is mine <laughs> that you draped over the table, which I appreciate. It was great to see you guys back at it. I think everyone should go check it out. You can find it on the what, on, on the, Twitter, on Twitter, yeah. the Ringer Twitter feed. Chris is... You, ever, you, got, you got Twitter? N- not anymore, no. <laughs> I fired it along with my agents last weekend. Um, Game of Thrones is back. Yeah. yeah. We've been covering this show since the beginning. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and I would say, uh, not to cut you off here, no. but I felt like, and Allison sort of wrote about this on the site, it wasn't just back. It was back to, for better and for worse, very Game of Thrones episode last night in a couple of different ways. You know, it, it had a lot of parallels to the first first episode of the of, of this show ever. Mm-hmm. But just in general, I felt like it had some of its it, its sort of core qualities back. Name them. Name the core qualities. Group sex. Definitely. Burning children. Yep. Uh, and intrigue. Palace intrigue. Sure. Um, a little bit of, uh, when you think you have one alliance, the alliance is crumbling behind your back, you know, mm-hmm. like, so a lot of that kind of stuff, a, a lot of, um, familial identity issues, which I think, I mean, this isn't new stuff I'm talking mm-hmm. about, but I felt like it was getting back. Whereas the last few episodes of season seven were very quest based, you know? Well, I think there's a pretty big quest slash war still I'm, to come. I'm anticipating that. I think this was real. Like we got one more of these. 
Then we're gonna we're gonna build up to a battle, and then we get another battle. This was wild to me because um, this was the first season that I've watched without coverage, plans for coverage, whether watching it with you or with Jay, with you guys. Last did you recap year. it for your wife? I, I did. I told you that. I, I was a little late watching Talk the Thrones afterwards because I was literally explaining like the fucking flower festival where Rhaegar Targaryen like made eyes at Lyanna Stark. And somehow I still had the facility to do that. Yeah. Despite everything else. So I was pretty proud of myself. Um, did not remember the name of the dragon that uh, that John rode. Yeah. Uh, but did... Did surprise myself because I was yeah. seconds away. Don't flex on me. I, I was think seconds, it's Rhaegal. I'm not sure. Seconds away from texting our group text with you, Jason and Mallory, and just being like, the guy I love that I've <laughs> spoken about on HBO, <laughs> who was in the Night's Watch with John, his name was, but it's Dolorous Ed. Yes. I remembered. Yeah. So I still have it. Anyway, some I have, I have some of it. A <laughs> couple pieces of it. Um. You're like the OA. It's just like it's just little memory fragments. I, I, no, I am. I am. I am Varys and uh, Davos. Just just being old. Yeah. Looking at the children up above. Um, I because I this is the first time without covering it for a while. I did sort of notice how. Prof- it's interesting. You said the things that are classic Game of Thrones that were riddled throughout the episode. I don't disagree with you, but I I couldn't help but notice just how deeply the show had changed. Mm. Um. Because the characters have changed or because the way they do the, the show The characters changed. have changed. The way they do the show has changed. The expectations have changed. The expectations of memes has changed. Um, I think late period shows, all of them, whether it's um, Parks and Recreation or whether it's Game of Thrones, fall in love with themselves. Yeah, to we were a talking about that with Killing Eve last week. Yeah, they know what people want out of it. And well, that's all. There's two conversations. There is the memification of TV, which I find deeply concerning. Um, just in terms of storytelling. But there's also just the, we know people want this. We love it too. Only a couple more chances. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. And so there was there was a bunch of that for sure in the show last night. But I was also just thinking about how on a structural level, we've talked for years about how difficult the show is in terms of its ambition, in terms of its budget, keeping track of all these characters. The challenges now are such, it's such a high degree of difficulty, but it's kind of a different degree of difficulty. There's just so much to get done Mm -hmm. and so many things to service now in a very tight and cramped space. So it was overwhelming to see 95% of the characters all in one place to the point where all they could do for 30 minutes of the episode for the most part was give each other eyes. And and, reunite. And then each get like, you know, 90 seconds of a reunion scene. Mm -hmm. And writing each one of those reunion scenes and thinking, well, this is the best version of it because it's the only one we're going to get. So whether it's Ari and the Hound, whether it's Ari and Gendry, Ari and John, I mean, everybody is reuniting all over the place. Yeah. That is really, really, really difficult. And then take one more step back and think about the story pieces that David Benioff and D.B. Weiss feel are essential in order to set up the dominoes for the big domino battle. Mm-hmm. In particular, the example I'll give you is what had to be done in the relatively brisk running time of this episode? 57 minutes. To tell John about his true parentage. What, 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 did, what did they feel was important to happen? Thing number one was one last sweet, sweet taste of incest. <laughs> one last just you got, deep. You got kiss. your aunt. She's so in her shearling coat. I, you're by the frozen I cave. just really don't think that aunt nephew is going to be a hurdle for them. I mean, it's a hurdle, but I don't think it's a barricade. Listen, no, the dragons, who, by the way, let the boy watch. 
That was the greatest low-key eastbound and down Listen Ashley up. Schaefer BMW. This came to me in a dream. <laughs> Ragel and other dragon. Yeah. Like like Ashley Schaefer's son Gabriel <laughs> in our beloved eastbound and down season one outtakes. Just, yeah. just watching them go to the market for plums. Incredible. So they had to have that sex scene. John had to ride a dragon. Uh-huh. And apparently no one there has access to Jason and Mallory's podcast to learn that only Targaryens can ride dragons. That was kind of a tell. Yeah, I mean, Benioff apparently said last night in the after the episode interview mm-hmm. that he does that only Targaryens can ride dragons. I, I, It's entirely possible that I have not registered this, but I don't ever remember a moment where Danny seemed like shocked that John got along with him. Was just like, I'm on this dragon now. She seemed like, oh, go ahead and try and ride a dragon. Well, I think no one knows for sure anything about dragons. But remember, one of the big moments from, I don't remember if it was last year or the year before, but when, when Tyrion met the it was two years ago, mm-hmm. I guess, when Tyrion met the dragons. And, and he didn't burn him alive. And that set off this whole uh, speculation among, certainly like the binge mode community Se- of Secret Targs, yeah. That, yeah, secret Targs. So, okay, so they had to do the dragon riding scene. They had to do all that. But then they also decided that in order to sow John Danny discord, mm-hmm. Sam needed to be slightly anti Daenerys. As you would be. Well, you would be, but also, again, just the economy. I mean, the, the way that they laid that out, where it was just like, well, at least, at least it was very Monty Python yeah. almost. It was like, <laughs> to be fair, I had some issues with my dad. At least I can go home now. My great brother will <laughs> unlock the gate for me. Oh, well, he'll leave a light on. The, my beloved nanny was for me. <laughs> Oh, oh no, oh really, oh yeah, oh right, oh, right, she wouldn't, well she had arthritic knees, so she couldn't knee, you didn't know that. All oh, right, oh, oh, it's all right, I suppose, thank you. Oh, thank did you for telling Sam me. live at Downton Abbey? Yes. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? You can't, you can't reverse half Nelson and accent thing. I heard you do Belfast Bono for Colin Farrell. Yeah, that was a, a tough podcast. beat for me. Anyway, we've all done things we're not proud of on this podcast. So. It's one of those things where it's just like at this point in the season, and what about this the number Dowager Countess? <laughs> She's still with us. She's like, no, no. Is she ashes as well? Oh, she is. Oh, I see. All right. Did she burn quickly? A bit brittle. Dry, papery skin. It's hard to moisturize. Um, the, I get it. Like, I and in the economy I, is dazzling. But mm-hmm. so they had to sort of do that scene and get him anti Daenerys, and then turn him on. Like all those pieces. It's just. I marvel at how they do it. And then what you're seeing You marvel. Is, do you love it? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I marvel because just thinking of the storytelling economy and thinking about how the hours of conversation, if not days or weeks, that went into each one of these scenes and pairing it to the bone and what may not seem like the bone to us, but is the bone to what they wanted for the skeleton of their season. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just kind of amazing. Uh, do I love it? I'm not sure. This is an example of a show that has given us so much that when it changes and takes some things away, you find yourself missing things that I'm sure I am on record as complaining about. So, for example, are there downsides to Arya being in Bravos, learning how to be an actor for essentially like with a theater company and also a faceless man for multiples of seasons? There are. Mm-hmm. And we complained about them. The benefit of doing storytelling like that, as I now see, in, you know, is that you can develop secondary characters you can focus on one character's particular it also journey. expands the world and it, and it expands and the that world. was always the thing about this show is that because of how they told the story and because no one was a safe character quote unquote and mm-hmm. they didn't have to live for this to happen or something i mean because so much of it was about subversion i think it really trained us as viewers to just expect 
it, it, it to go anywhere. It could go to Dorne. It could go to the mm-hmm. Bravos. It could go to um, different parts of Essos. It could go to all over Westeros and mm-hmm. different customs and different people. And, you know, I, I think that there there is a real advantage for them, I think, to tell the specific stories of these main characters like Danny, like Cersei, like John, like to really get into their psychology and their family histories. But there was this huge cast of characters that I think populated the background, which is has somewhat been limited, I think, in the in over because they've either died or because yes. they've left the places where those people were. And you also there's a crunch. So the hound who remains a fascinating character, great performance, and has been so useful in telling different kinds of stories, as you're saying, is making dragon glass axes. Well, I mean and he's he, now he's there to do one thing, which is kill his brother. Or but, fight his brother. I don't presumably, know yes. So, no, I so mean, like, they're all like all of the 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 eventualities are kind of shortening. I mean, that's that's sort of what happened in seven is is when they accelerated seven and they were like, we got you know we're going to do a lot of stuff here to get to eight. Mm-hmm. It really showed the show pivoting towards the ending rather than the expansion. And I, I've talked with Jason and Mal a little bit about this. You can feel a difference in the writing as they are like, yeah, we're going, we're we're coming back down to earth here. Yeah, and and we're and we're speeding towards something now. Mm-hmm. And one of the other casualties of that, particularly aligning up everyone for what I presume will be the first battle against the dead. Um, there's more battles to come. There's yeah. some sort of Cersei confrontation. Is now let me well as I my, by way of explaining the experience I'm having watching this, let me um, offer a confession. I have uh, recently backslid into a troubling habit that I thought was out of my life. Reading like poetry novels. I started playing Candy Crush again. What? Like a fucking millennial. Why? I I, I just So I are you playing on your phone while Game of Thrones is on? No, uh, no, no, no. Oh my god. I mean no, you're no, you're no. allowed to. No, 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 no. I am uh I'm 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 texting with friends like a no, I'm not. I'm watching the show. I keep thinking about uh Sharon Horgan's line in the catastrophe season four premiere watching about Game of Thrones alone like a pervert. Like that I, I actually in order to get my wife who does not care about the show to watch it with me, I tried that line out on her. <laughs> <laughs> did you credit Sharon Oregon? Well, she had watched the show. With okay. Me. No evidence that she remembered either line or appreciated it, but she did end up watching it with me. Um, and you know what her comment was? Oh, really? He's still around. <laughs> He's still around, huh? <laughs> About oh. who? Everybody? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Still around. Anyway, there's a thing that did happens. Did she swoon in- at all when she saw Jamie at the end? Hard no. <laughs> really? No, she's not. She doesn't care about any of these people. Uh, she doesn't no, I mean, care. but like, that's an attractive guy with a new beard. Yeah, but, you know, he was wearing kind of a hood. He'd been traveling. Like, you know. This Smelled like the road. This wasn't his best. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's, he's got, still got places you know, to go. Hard disagree from Mal on that one. Really? She said, I don't know if anyone's ever been hotter. Wow. Okay, well, they can, they can discuss. Um, so there's a thing that happens on Candy Crush that my other candy heads will recognize. It's like you're playing the game, and then all of a sudden it'll pause and say, no more, ma- no more matches possible shuffling. Mm-hmm. And it reshuffles. And then you have another chance. And then eventually, though, if it's a thing, if it's a board where, like, chocolate's growing and blocking up your game, it'll say, no more matches possible shuffling. And then you'll look at this sad collection of, like, six candies, and then it'll say, oops, and the game ends. That's King's Landing right now. <laughs> that is King's Landing. Once the, the center of action, uh-huh. once, once the buzziest place in the Seven Kingdoms. Yeah. If you weren't anyone there, you were no one, or you are probably dead. Um, now it's Cersei. Uh-huh. Kyburn. Yeah. Harry Strickland. Who's Harry Strickland? The guy who runs the Golden Company. Oh, that was cool. Yeah, that was good that he was there. 
Glad to see Harry. <laughs> is that his character's name or the actor's name? Is the character's name. Harry Strickland? I had a lot of fun with this last night. That is. They're really, they're really done, aren't they? No, I just think that every, I said this last night, like every 19th character, mm-hmm. they're like, your name is Bob Thomas. Yeah, well, Ke- our famous example First of, that of was his name. Kevin Lannister. Yeah. Only of his name. <laughs> what about Kevin? And a mute, resurrected Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. You're on. And Greyjoys. Yeah. And you want to talk about Greyjoys? And what I'm saying is the show has grossly overestimated our interest in the Greyjoys. Yeah. Uh, I think even the Icelandic actor who really enjoys playing Velvet Goldmine era, Euron Greyjoy, I think part of his performance is is definitely fueled by a kind, the kind of fuck you candor possible when you realize no one cares about your character and that you probably will make it to the midpoint of the season. It was all a bit, I mean, it's, it's, it's biding time. Mm-hmm. And it felt a little, you know, but that's the, that's the arrangement of characters they have. And they have to serve. Oh, see, them. I didn't think it, it was I, biding time at all. I didn't think there was any time wasting. I think you could not like Yara and Theon's, you know. Oh, the Yara thing headbutting was, was each other. on. But I just mean, like, even the Cersei, who remains one of, if not the most compelling characters on the show, doesn't have anything to do other than be like, oh, the dead are coming? Bet. Yeah. So we're like, okay, we'll get Bronn back into this in a different role because we need another character down there. And also, we're going to have a foursome because, because, well, look, if the announcement— I just like to see HBO going back to its roots. This is the thing. It's been a while, and it's like, it's not, it's, it doesn't even do anything for me. I'm just like, bravo. I was surprised. Since Game of Thrones has aired, HBO has changed ownership. Yeah. So do you think our man Rich Stanky was just like— Bring me that dream on aesthetic. <laughs> no, it, it, it's you the, guys got to go back to True Blood. That's when you were really killing it. <laughs> first of all, I love, I love what you're doing with Stanky. Second, second, I was going to say I was surprised that they had a scene like that in 2019 in season eight of the show. But then I remembered if the, the if the Confederate debacle taught us anything, it's that our friends Dave and Dan do not look at Twitter. So they. DGAF. They did not get the memo. They did not get the memo that we're past sex position in 2019 and barely. I would say they gave it the same effort in that scene that Bron did <laughs> across the board. Even Bron was like, please, please, strange old man, come hand me a crossbow because this is ridiculous. I know. So all of this, though, is to say. What was this, one of the this, things that you well, saw last night that you were like, that ruled? Well, that was awesome. I was just going to say that all of this, to even talk about this episode, to put your arms around it, 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 it's almost not worth picking because it is just throat clearing for all the stuff they have to do, right? Mm-hmm. So what did I really like in the episode? I liked— I See, I don't think it was throat clearing. I thought I think that one of the things you start to see once you— Sometimes once you see it through Jason and Mal's eyes, I think to some extent, but when you realize, okay, they've only got so much more mm-hmm. time to go— mm-hmm. Like, without getting too into predictions, they don't bring up the idea of Yara being like, go help your friends. Yeah. And if they lose, tell them to come to the Iron Islands where they can, like, wait out because White Walkers can't w- swim. Of course, she doesn't know they have a dragon. That the White Walkers have a dragon? Yeah. No, I know. Dragon can fly. Can fly over and just give them a little bit of that, that morning breath. You know what I mean? <laughs> I I like Sansa a lot. Yeah. I liked her as the smartest person in the room. I thought that was a that was the kind of thing the show not only does best with performance and dialogue and everything, but also um 
They do a nice Taking nice parallels of, this, this. of of Sansa and Cersei, where they're just like essentially both of them are like standing and looking out at like mm-hmm. their kingdom essentially, but like also you, this you feel like they're almost looking at each other. Yeah. Yeah. Y- yes, and also in each scene like that, you feel the eight years of growth and development and storytelling that the show has given us and put into these characters. So you, mm-hmm. you appreciate them as the whole, the, the composite whole of everything that they've been through. Um, I, I, you know, I like, of course, this is very on brand for me. Anytime we do have a Davos Vera scene, those are the most entertaining for me um, throughout. I think. Um, I'm surprised by, and, I, and I'm curious what you think about this. This is so. So Jim Ponowazik, who's the great TV critic from the the New York Times and also a book reader, tweeted about this. Basically, curious about the show's sudden seeming interest in good kings and bad kings, and you know, this this if this is really going to be a thing where John is suddenly like, oh no, you should be the king. Um. That they'd be John better. is like, oh no, who should be the king? Well, that that so we're going to this John Daenerys clash of kings, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, that it seems. I mean, I don't know. He 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 has been pretty resolute in that, like none of this, none of the shit matters, which historically has been the strongest argument to play. But that suddenly they're going to make it that it does matter that the North are you know little little gift starter Lyanna Mormont. I don't know. I mean, it's him. been a secret for so long. Maybe he'll keep the secret too. Maybe, I, I, I don't know. Maybe, well, look, maybe you, you can't drop the Iron Islands and have you be like, oh, that's going to happen, and then drop, he's the but king. But maybe have they secret. decide between the two of them. Right. You know, they need a queen. I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe they decide to do a little <laughs> little co, co-leadership. Yeah. I mean, that's what they were suggesting with them getting married, was that it would be great if they could serve a, a, a good queen and a good king, right? Yeah, that could be good. Yeah. I'm into it. Um do you know what I mean, though, in terms of... This is the last criticism, then we can pivot to the other stuff. That there was a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of reaction shots. It was like... There was a lot of, like, Jim Halperting. Yeah, but that's the first time, like, a lot of them saw dragons. Well, the dragon stuff, I got. Dragons or people of color, apparently. Which had a long, <laughs> long reaction on the long march to Winterfell. Um, but not just that. There was just a lot of side-eye throughout. Mm-hmm. Like, the Sansa Daenerys stuff... Like when Euron was talking and we cut to Kyburn being like, mm, you know, there was just a lot of that, that sort of storytelling. You didn't, that, that you didn't bump up. That, that didn't occur to me. The, the, this, the reaction shots didn't really occur to me. I think that because they had to do so many reunions and because that yeah. to not have certain people see one another would have been, would have felt like we were robbed of something. So we, so we had to see them all I see I think everything other. got 15 seconds. Yeah. Rather right. than like a, a really meaty scene between two people or. Uh, something of real consequence exchanged in the dialogue. Uh, not that there wasn't stuff of consequence, because I feel like almost every scene was in a different place when it started. So with the exception of maybe Arya and the Hound, you know what I mean? Every other scene was like... Although even that had a certain grudging respect that yeah, had been... Yeah, but like Sansa and John, like, I think have a very fascinating relationship because it's a private and a public one. Yeah. And in some ways she's more respectful of him in private than she is in public. Uh, and I think that they have like a very nuanced relationship as two people who didn't really like each other in their childhood. Not at all. And now are pretending like family over everything. Even though it's kind of not exactly family. Well, we're going to find that out. Um, that's the thing is like, is, is this revelation going to allow people to really like say how they feel? Can I say my favorite, favorite thing? Low key favorite thing? Yeah. Uh, 
Are you familiar with uh, John Mulaney's jokes about Law and Order? I don't think so. About how his favorite thing about Law and Order, and this is something my wife and I used to laugh about too, but without the comic precision of John Mulaney, that any time like Jerry Orbach and whomever like go to interview someone and they are homicide police, mm-hmm. whoever they're interviewing, whether it's a dock worker at like South Street Seaport or whether it's a, um, a guy restocking bottles at, at a bodega, is too busy to stop oh, doing yeah. the restocking. Yeah, like the guy's folding shirts at the Gap. And he's like, I got a lot of shirts to fold. What do you need? <laughs> or they go to the bartender, and the bartender's like, uh, I see literally 10,000 people a day. But yeah, brown hair girl. She was nice, always tipped. What happened to her? She okay? And then anyway. that guy murdered her. But no, he's just that's his only scene. And it's just that the Winterfell extras, like the Winterfell irregular company, uh-huh. of just like, scavenging mean-faced people grabbing coal or brushing stuff was just on one (laughs) the background work this is now i've learned you credit this to the assistant directors on a production like they're the ones in charge of the extras they crushed it so when gendry's just like watch out for this dragon glass and they're like all right go it's all right in it (laughs) i hear the dead are coming that should be a bit of a dick van dyke from mary poppins yes I do think that. What are we doing today? I haven't had coffee. Um, You know you've had too much. I think my favorite thing is actually, uh, my my favorite moment was um, when the little kid was lit on fire. Well, you're you're nothing if not consistent. Because that was like the thing, basically, the John Carpenter film. I don't know if you've seen that. Uh, I'm aware that it exists. Yeah. And I love it when Thrones does other genres briefly. Yes. And I, I love it when they do, like, here's, like, a horror story or here's, like, a, a heist or here's, you know, mm-hmm. here's backroom politicking or whatever. But I really— Here's the, here's the Great British Bake Off. That had, like, like there, there's the been an undercurrent of horror throughout the show, especially yeah. as it relates to Beyond the Wall, and I thought that was—that ruled. What is the significance of the sigil now? People are very focused on this, and some people are saying it looks like the Targaryen The symbol. spiral? Yeah. Uh, it's It's been a message that they have broadcast several times throughout the series when it comes to the Night King. So he left the the White Walkers left a bunch of horses in that oh, yeah. in that design in the first season, and I think they did that also. They did it with Nights Walk Nights Watch people that they had left behind. They put them in a spiral like that, and then mm-hmm. they did it also with horses at Fist of the First Men. So it's essentially something he is trying to communicate or say. I have a theory about it that mm-hmm. I, I'm sure is also much better articulated elsewhere on the internet, but it's essentially. There's something about the spiral circularity of it that is going to be about everything that has happened has happened before and will happen again and the cyclical nature of it. And that hmm. that goes toward Brad being the Night King. That's a new thought. Do you think that— That's my—that's just like—I I think it's weird how much the Night King's face looks like Bran's face. That cannot be an accident. What about, what about when they—what about that guy they turned into a guy? I thought that was the Night King. Remember there was the flashback? Yeah. That was misdirect? That's not a misdirection. I just think that there's something about it that suggests, like, maybe they have a psychic connection or something. Does the Night King have an installation guy? Like, remember when Kanye was really into, like, James Terrell, the artist? Oh, like somebody who comes—oh, you mean an installation guy, like an art installation guy? Yeah, like a guy who comes over and sets up his flat screen. No, although if you have a guy like that, I could use it. I just mean, like, you know, he slaughters untold thousands, Mm -hmm. and then it's just like— and then his installation guy comes in like and like Jeff Koons comes over, organizes. Yeah. Well, no, Jeff Koons would be the Night King because Jeff Koons has an oh. army of undead like interns who do, does the art for him. <laughs> I'm saying who comes in and like lifts the horses into the spiral, and then the Night King has to get up on the dragon. Probably and be, the like, same guys who left. pulled the dragon out of the ice. Yeah, those guys seem really like 
ready for whatever. Yeah. You think they're union? There was they move with the efficiency of and relentlessness of Teamsters. I will say that. Uh, so the okay. So that brings us to Brand. <laughs> this is a union shop. Brand. <laughs> Excuse me, Mister Night King, sir. That's lunch. You said five p.m. <laughs> okay, time and a half. What are we doing today? <laughs> Why are we doing like so much like community theater today? I don't know. Because we did watch Barry. I don't know. Are you interested in Brand at all? Mm-hmm. Because of the Night King. I hate thing? that Brand is. Is like always like I'm not Bran. Yeah. I, I just like think that his whole like I'm the three eyed raven. Like clearly yeah. that's that messaging is not making an impact. No, they're not listening to him. They keep hugging him and kissing him, and he's like, "Not your brother." Yeah, and they're like Bran, and he's like, mm. "Not no." Man. I loved the last scene with him and Jamie because he's just like, "I'm not Bran anymore," but I know that you threw Bran out of a fucking three story window. <laughs> but he also probably knows everything that's happened since then and the things that he has done that have like trended on the good side. I was just surprised that considering all the things Jamie has done, all the kings he's slayed, all the ill stuff that he got up to over the last eight seasons, he didn't even hesitate to know that that was the kid he threw out a window. I feel like he'd be like, I'm sorry, remind me of your name. I've thrown so many children out of so many buildings. You know? He actually hasn't. Well, you have to assume. He killed a king, and then he tossed Bran out the window at a moment, a peak. I forget how you will defend him no matter what he does. He was seeing red. (laughs) He did it to impress Cersei. Interrupted. Well, look, look, Bronn was similarly interrupted. You didn't see him throwing Kyburn out of anything. No, but he does it all for money. Jamie does it for love. Wow. Yeah. Now we're back. Uh, Now we're back. I love that moment. I thought that was great. Um, I loved. I love the Umber stuff at the end. I thought that was completely thrilling. I think next episode will be largely like gathering chess pieces and then they'll have the, the fight in episode three. I, I was, I guess I was, this, this surprises me and it won't surprise anyone who, who thinks I'm just being sort of uh, um, difficult. Mm-hmm. But the, this, when we did get to Tormund and Beric um, and their little side quest for survival and they run into Ed and, and, and leading up to that, the scary scene. That great line. He's got blue eyes. He's like, I've always had blue eyes. I, I love those guys. Yeah. And I just, I really enjoy them on the show. I, you know, even though I hated the whole, like, let's capture a dead person boondoggle of mm-hmm. last year, that crew, the Dirty Dozen crew they got together was were some of the best character actors and most fun people on the show. So I was happy to see them. But I guess what I was really happy was, it was. I know why they are barricading themselves in Winterfell, and obviously they're going to move around more before this show is over. But I did miss a little bit of the ranging. Mm-hmm. I, I was surprised by that. I think that there will be some. I think something will come out of three that means they have to go on the run. What is? What were, after watching that episode, were there any unexplored story points or characters that you feel are just dangling, that are still unaccounted for in a way? I mean, obviously, you know, I think... Salvador son is still unaccounted for, but I'm never going to get closure on that. I just mean like significant, significant storylines. No, I think what I think what it is is that I spending so much time with Jason and Mal, not only since the episode, the season seven ended, mm-hmm. but just you know listening to binge and also talking with them as we've been getting ready for Talk the Thrones, is the amount of stuff that gets a nod from the show that's in the books or is part of canon that is suggested that it could be. In the show. Right. But it's like, do you guys have enough time to do this if one episode is a battle? So essentially, we have four more episodes because one of these episodes, at least, is reported to be a, an episode-long fight. And 
Potentially more than one, right? Because there. Oh, and I'm sure there will be another huge set piece right. dragon fight or something. But the, but the big one, the yeah. big the Battle of Winterfell. You have to imagine is, there's not a ton of like plot development going on there, or and that's going to be in two weeks, mm-hmm. almost definitely. Almost definitely is third the third week. Okay. So, but my point is, is that they're running out of runway to to land everything that that I think all the fans would want them to land to answer questions about every single thing. To say nothing of the fact that they've been pretty close to the vest. A lot of what we saw last night, I thought I thought I thought a lot of the promotional materials that we've seen so far, for the most part, have taken from last night's episode. Yeah, because it was about the characters. It was about the Yeah. So I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff that's gonna happen in the crypts. There's obviously a lot of stuff that happens in Winterfell. We haven't seen any dragons yet, or ice dragons at least, mm-hmm. for, or Night King, really, mm-hmm. in the promo materials. But uh yeah, I think that there's just a lot of stuff out there about the history and the um and mysteries of 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 the world that they've like suggested that they they understand and know about but mm-hmm. have not completed. I guess the last thing I would say coming in you know as we prepare to watch the rest of the season is a uh speaks to something you said about the potential of brand being the night king which is so much of a fandom of the show that I would say is I, I'm certainly not a casual fan of the show, but I am also not a scholar mm-hmm. or a maester um, has been about these specific characters and where they may end up. And on a, on a very base level, like whether they'll be alive or not. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately who's king, who's queen, whatever. Um, what I have not given a lot of thought about is what this show plans to say about the world about the human condition, about fate, about uh, free so will. Been, that's been a critique of the sh- of the show in some of the postmortems that I've seen. And, in seven, in seven, and, and for the first episode of eight, and, is that this is about Game of Thrones now. It's not about what Game of Thrones tells us about the world. Interesting, right. And so, and yet, an idea of a final lesson, you know, if you think back to some of the more iconic lines about Daenerys wants to break the wheel mm-hmm. and everything has happened has happened before and it's, caught, and it's literally incestuous and the only way out of this is to break free of all of this old behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, it suggests something interesting, potentially, if Bran is a cyclical figure, if, if it has all happened before and it'll happen again, and what is the radical act that can, that can break us free of that? I realize as I say this, it's almost hard to allow oneself to think in those macro-macro uh, terms because I and maybe others have become slightly cynical because generally, in the two years since we last talked about Game of Thrones, we've been talking about it as a chit in... AT&T's Warner Media's strategy for content domination and how I'm going to misquote the Greyjoys nothing is ever really dead. Yes. You know, we have great confidence that there's going to be some when this season series finale airs there will probably be some tiny tiny teaser of the the Long Night spin-off. I, would, I imagine so, yeah. Um there were likely to be multiple spin-offs and you know we're about to spin this conversation into a Star Wars conversation and Star Wars is never ending either. You know, there's just there's, that it is just going to be a lane in our lives for the rest of our lives. And there's no question that within corporate headquarters um, over at AT&T now, they're thinking of Game of Thrones as that for them. Yeah. So it's it'll be interest it'll be an interesting test of this show, but also of where we are with our fandom. That if the Night King is destroyed at the end of the series, and it's in some way meant to feel definitive that you know the the spinoffs will be prequels, and this is the end of it. Part of me is going to be like, well, we'll just hear the Night King with his trademark. I don't laugh think it matters because I think people were as into this show when it was two 
two families fighting against each other as they were no, no, when they it will. was ultimate good versus it, ultimate evil. But what I'm saying is our relationship to these things, like, is this – it is now – these the companies are now de-incentivized to make any version of a story the primary version. You know, in the same way that Star Wars is struggling with its, like, it's the Skywalker story, and then we're going to be done with the Skywalker story. But the way we're going to finish the Skywalker story is, is just by starting literally tell the same story again. Yeah, well, let, uh, let's just go into that. Yeah. So let me take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and then we'll start talking about Star Wars' the rise of Skywalker. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Game of Thrones and Oreos. The most epic cookies of all time are here cookies are coming. Brace yourselves. Oreo Game of Thrones limited edition packs are in stores now while supplies last. Where does your fealty lie? To whom are you bending the knee? For me? I'm going to go Cersei Lannister and I'll tell you why. I just think that she would make sure Oreos are always stocked in King's Landing supermarkets, if there are any. I mean, maybe not in Flea Bottom, but I think that if you are like of a certain kind of economic class in King's Landing, your access to Oreos is just unlimited. And while I appreciate the social change Danny is trying to bring to the world, Oreos come first. Go on to Oreo.com and pledge your fealty to the house or Night King of your choice and tune into Game of Thrones on Sundays on HBO. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by ADT. What does ADT real protection mean? It means you can get all of the latest innovation in smart home security from ADT combined with 24-7 monitoring from the most trusted name in home security. You'll get a team of professionals designing and installing a secure smart home just for you. You'll get 18,000 employees safeguarding you with connection to first responders. You'll get the nation's number one smart home security provider. You can get a smart home, secure smart home, with everything from video doorbells, indoor and outdoor cameras, smart locks and lights, controlled from the ADT app or the sound of your voice. You can get professionally monitored carbon monoxide and smoke detectors. You can get a system custom designed to fit your home. Get safety on the go in the car or when the kids are at school with the ADT Go app with an SOS button. Learn more at ADT.com slash podcasts. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Philo. Say goodbye to expensive TV bills and horrible customer service with Philo. Philo is a new way to watch all the TV you love. Philo is the cheapest way to watch over 50 of your favorite channels like Discovery, Science Channel, HGTV, AMC, VH1, Nickelodeon, Lifetime, and History. Never miss a minute of The Daily Show. Catch SpongeBob and Paw Patrol for the kids, plus tons of classic shows and movies. Enjoy live and on-demand TV, plus a limited recording for only $20 a month and never miss a minute of the shows you love. Philo is great for watching TV from your TV, or your phone, or your computer, wherever you want. There's never been a better deal on cord-free, commitment-free, hassle-free TV. Philo is available on Roku, iOS, Fire TV, Android TV, and Apple TV. To start your free trial, visit philo.tv slash the watch. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash the watch. All right, man, we're back. Uh, let's talk about Star Wars. So one of the things you're talking about the de-incentivization yeah. for uh, corporations to really end anything. Mm -hmm. uh, or they can do gestures of endings to make you feel like every generation has its story and this one is coming to a close. Or you look at what Warner Brothers was doing with DC and at first it looked sloppy and now it looks brilliant that they can just have six jokers and be like, shrug emoji. It yeah. doesn't matter. There's yeah. no one joker. Yes. As opposed to Marvel, which is a little bit hamstrung now 
where it's just like, will anyone ever accept a different Iron Man than, than Robert Downey Jr.? That's a gr- and, and that will be a great post-Avengers question mm-hmm. and conversation. I think one thing that I would say about Game of Thrones is because it's operating off of a central and publicly available text. The Except the last book. Well, sure. But even the stuff that they could, I, for as long as George R. R. Martin is sort of like, here's the world. Mm-hmm. Like, I've got like these different, I can even meet with you and just tell you about it, or I can give you mm-hmm. these these notes or whatever. Like, he said on 60 Minutes that Game of Thrones, the show, will end his ending will pretty closely match Dan and David's. Oh, he said that? Yeah. Um, but Was there a dragon glass dagger in his back when he said it? Well, <laughs> uh, the despite the fact that people had problems with the way the storytelling happened in seven, season seven of Game of Thrones, I have found that this show has been pretty precisely plotted. Yeah. And that the things that matter wind up mattering. The things you think matter wind up mattering. There's, no, there's very there's, little wasted space. And there's, there's no not fat. a lot of wasted space. Which is why I was so struck watching that Star Wars trailer on Friday. Now, I will say that um, I, I usually find Star Wars trailers to be mind-blowing. Like, I'm usually yeah. like, I will watch that a hundred times and then almost weirdly come have a little bit of a come down after watching the, with the actual movies. That's at least been the case with Force Awakens, Rogue One. Rogue One, to some extent Solo. I would say Last Jedi eclipsed my expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've talked about that a million times. We don't have to go into it again. I didn't think this was a particularly good trailer. Like, I thought that that's a cool move that she pulls. Um, it's beautiful in the opening. I mean, it's, it, it looks beautiful. It's always exciting to see yeah. a Jedi in the desert. It's cool. But like like you were saying, their, their move in Star Wars, you know, Avengers and MCU is about going out, going out, going out, and then coming back in, bringing the, bringing the characters back together. Um, Star Wars is really about repetition. I mean, and and... I, I think that that has been something that people have grappled with over the years about how much they want to be serviced versus how much they want to be challenged. And obviously, last year I was really challenging and people, some people rejected that. Um, what I don't understand is why they felt the need for Nine to a, at least apparently like erase Last Jedi. That's the really curious thing about it. The Last Jedi did a lot of radical things and you could be pro or con, and people on the internet are loudly both. But for me, the most amazing things about it were the way it just effortlessly got rid of the the, the cipher of mm-hmm. a big villain, Snoke. Just, no, that didn't matter. It got rid of uh, the idea that Rey was somehow a Skywalker. No, you're from no one. Mm-hmm. Um, it completely challenged and went right at this idea that only Skywalkers matter, that that everything, that that basically things you cling to because you're told them and from your childhood, aka fandom, are the only things that matter. And it cleared the decks in a way that felt, for me anyway, bold and pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. And then you couple that with, and this is just a side note, it, in the trailer, certainly, there were some, like the the, the red speeders over the... I mean, yeah. it was beautiful and surprising. It made you feel like something different is going to be Yeah, it done looked here. different than all the other Star Wars, and, Star Wars movies. And then you get to this trailer, which is, you know, with good reason. It's why they brought J.J. back, I think. It was just like, let, let's, plug, let's plug that right now. Let's, let's bring it back to the things people want. But the worrisome thing is the name of the movie and the placement of Ray back on Tatooine or wherever. And it's like... Jakku, yeah. It's like... Nope, she's going to be a Skywalker after all. Well, it's 
so there, there's tons of you could make it. You could read the Rise of Skywalker as that could be uh, Kylo. That could have something to do with Leia, who's there. There's still Carrie Fisher in this movie that they're using footage from mm-hmm. uh, Force Awakens in. You could say that it actually is like Kylo is messing with Rey somehow, and that she is she is a Skywalker. Right. And, but so much, if if you have to spend fifty percent of your, the last movie of this saga. Mm-hmm. Retconning? Retconning what happens in Last Jedi, that just feels like a crisis of management. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that just seems like why, like, these second and third movies are not supposed to have to do all the heavy lifting that the they, first they, one is. They, the They're fact, supposed to be stories. Right, the fact that you waited 20 years to make a trilogy that is just about, basically, about grappling with the existence of these movies at all um, is worrisome. The first movie being a... No, basically a note for note remake of uh, A New Hope. Yeah, with Han Solo as Obi-Wan. And then the second one being a kind of ballsy rejection of that. And then the third one being like, no, 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 we're fine, we're fine. I mean, this is something that I feel that I know that people who have really invested more in these movies disagree with. Mm-hmm. But as a casual fan and a skeptic, I feel comfortable saying this. What is, what's this movie about? Who are the bad guys? What are they fighting for? What's the point? The fact that the end of it is the Emperor's laugh again. It's like, we're doing this shit again? Speaking of failure, yeah. the failure is the imagination when they rebooted it to begin with to say, well, what's interesting and what's left? It cannot just be the same shit. Because what you're left with is something that is can only be a carbon copy. Endings are really hard, especially in trilogies, right? And so this idea that it's like, what are they called? The Order, but it's just the Empire again? The First Order, yeah. And the Rebellion or the Resistance, it's all the same thing playing the same beats but why and for who that that's what that that's the central problem of this that i just i just don't understand and i think i don't think star wars is in crisis i don't think it's a problem i think this movie's going to make a billion dollars but long term if they can't communicate what they're doing other than tickling our nostalgia i don't know how many billions of nostalgia dollars are left out there ad infinitum i think that they're going to probably i think that mandalorian is going to happen later in the year as well mm-hmm. so when the disney plus service launches in november i think uh mandalorian will be available there's already been footage floating around of it i have to say it looks incredible it yeah so really, so you you sent me this and and so at this disney festival it's basically they like pirated footage of this of it from the disney festival from the star wars festival and i think i was so two reactions to it well first of all we didn't even talk about the disney plus launch which by the way was Fucking devastating. Like six ninety nine a month yeah. for this. It is so smart. It is such a smart And they're gonna probably wind up bundling it with ESPN Plus and Hulu. Consumer play. I thought Joe Adalian's piece on what how this is just the first volley and yeah. what is going to be this larger tiered structure of like your Disney Park pass mm-hmm. for all the stuff they own was really insightful. And Netflix should be worried. Um they are going right at them in a very smart way. Um but anyway. It does, on the surface, look like everything that I think you and Apple I have ever be worried. I think Netflix is going to be Netflix or whatever. Oh, that's right. But... I mean, Netflix is going to survive the coming, the wars to come. Yeah. But I think Apple should definitely be, because what, what, what? Yeah, exactly. What, what are they? We all want. We all have their phones, but mm-hmm. they don't know how to to do this. And I think that the the Joe Adalian piece was so smart about saying Disney knows how to sell you many things that you already know that you already want. Yes. Um, and to package them and be consumer-facing and blah, blah, blah. Because a reboot of Amazing Stories is not a $1,000 phone. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Mandalorian TV series, John Favreau. Sorry, not, Pedro not, Pascal. Not our friend from Pod Save America, right. but 
our friend from uh, Swingers. Swingers. <laughs> we have a lot of friends. Um, starring Pedro Pascal uh-huh. as a character of the same race, tribe, same armor, occupation. Occupation as Boba Fett. Yeah, bounty hunter. Um, set after Jedi. You right said? after Jedi, and it's it's Pascal, Vim Vendors. Giancarlo Esposito, those are the two... Sorry, not Vin Benders. I was like, really? Which, how many German directors Werner are there? Herzog Werner Herzog. Great and stuff. Giancarlo Esposito are the heavies. They, are, they, they work for the sort of remnants of the Empire. And then uh, Gina Carano and is, is like Pedro Pascal's homie in this movie. She may remember from Haywire. Yeah, I remember. But uh, it possibly because of the nature of the footage that we saw, yeah. which is pirated. It looks grimy and beat up. It looks like that the best versions of Rogue One. I yeah, think. It, it, you you were right when you wrote to me about it, and it's just like this is every theoretically this looks like everything we've ever wanted, which is in this world, which is tell a small genre story. Tell a small genre story. Yeah. Use the things that people act, you know, not people, the, the the things that we still have a fondness for, you know, because one of the central problems of a major. Skywalker Star Wars movie is that they're market they're four quadranting it right yes. they want six year olds and sixty year olds yeah because they it. they have to have like the weird animal race in Last Jedi exactly. and also Laura Dern's you know death yeah exactly so this but this is targeted towards a different audience and and that could be great and it seems like they have just a lot of pros in there and also like that Werner Herzog scene that is in the pirated footage that's the stuff that you don't have time for in a major movie like. If you think of Werner Herzog as playing the Paul Bettany role. Do you think Bob Iger was like, can, can we get Rainer Werner Fassbender in this? <laughs> he hasn't been. What about Vim Vendors? I do think he went for What about every... Fritz Lang? Is Fritz Lang working? I just love German cinema. <laughs> um, like the, he, if he's playing the Paul Bettany in solo role, which was a disaster <laughs> piece. But like you don't have time to have an interesting exposition spewing maybe villain in a two hour, $300 million movie. Mm-hmm. But on a TV show, that's where those characters can live. So seeing the opportunities of, of a TV character. Gus working for the Empire, I'm I'm available cool. to watch that. But, Chris, because I came in here on a Monday morning to crush dreams <laughs> and then play, and then crush candy, because that's how I spend my days now. Um, Boy, the, you really need an agent. <laughs> the way, I'm really, I'm, I'm spiraling. The way I watched this footage was problematic for me yeah not that it was pirated but because we're watching it in a room full of the biggest star wars stands in the universe who literally anytime a boxy droid appears they're like no (laughs) and i'm like who is this for them i know and i don't want what they want and i'm happy they get what they want you do you just don't want to be in a room full of people being like no they didn't no i don't give a shit what the droid is I don't care. You they, don't have to give a shit. They were all freaking out over a fraggle they were roasting in that trailer. And I'm like, I don't remember that. I literally thought that was a fraggle. That's your man from Jedi who's the the, the friggin' doorman oh. when they're trying to get into Jabba's palace. Oh. That's your boy. Damn, he got got. Yeah. Nope. Sorry, don't <laughs> care. I don't care. I care about it whether if it's a good show or not. Okay, me too. I oh, so, so this all goes back towards... I think that's the way forward for this whole story. I think they know that. I think that the Skywalker saga ending with these three movies will be looked at as an enormous financial boon and something that launched this new universe for Disney and an incredible success. But as a story, I don't know if it ever quite clicked. No, no, no. 
There are parts of it that people love, and there are parts of it that meant a lot to a lot of people. Yeah, and we shouldn't I overlook loved that. Last Jedi. Like, legitimately, yeah, was just like, this is a great movie. But I think taken as a three-movie story about a, a woman from Jakku who may or may not be a messiah figure— it just doesn't make a lot of sense and she's not fighting against anything because like they just they just kept zigging and zagging around and, about who was what and what meant what. And I also think um, this may be the oldest, oldest um, strain of takes that we offer because we are come from a different generation mm-hmm. um, or at least we grew up with different different relationship to this kind of content. We only got a couple swings at this stuff, right? Like there were no Star There were the three Star Wars movies and that was Star Wars. Yes. And then we graduated from college and they brought out more of them and they were trash yeah so we're like well that's it and then later people realized oh this content we own is the most valuable thing in the universe and we'll just keep making more of it (laughs) yeah weird how long it took people to realize that anyway we make a big deal out of each entrant entry into these series as if they matter because they're released in movies because they're important because billy d williams is in it or whatever but let's remember this is disney now this is Disney, and Disney is showing us what they do with content for good or ill and how they approach content now. And it used to just be like, you know, maybe a theme park ride or a Happy Meal. But no, no, now it is. You don't, if you don't feel that Finn and Poe and their subtextual romance that people on the internet are all fired up about didn't get enough burn in these movies, don't worry. There is an eight-part Disney Plus series probably coming at some point when Oscar Isaac's Schedule opens up. Triple Frontier 2 wraps? Quadruple Frontier. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just using that as an example. I know what you mean. All of these things will Look at all the people who forever. are doing, a, like Jeremy Renner is That's gonna be saying. on a streaming service. That's what I'm saying. So anything that you feel wasn't appropriately done in this trilogy, yeah. you don't need to wait a generation to get another bite at that apple. Like, it's all just gonna keep happening. Does that change the significance of, does that take away from the event movie nature of, of these movies? Ultimately, yes, it does. However, these event movies exist as um, inflection points on corporate data sheets. Yeah, and I'm also increasingly like convinced that they don't really know how to tell these stories anymore. They, they don't, but yeah. like people, like not any one person at Star Wars is like guilty of this. I just think that there's just too much money at play, and there's too many people saying like you have to have this happen. Yeah, and 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 and, and it know, just winds up. You just It's just not a coherent story. But I think that it's also a question of what do you value more? And so for us, Last Jedi had silly animal races, mm-hmm. but it also had enough visual dynamism and really interesting ideas to make me think that on this ledger, the good one out. Like this was worth it. Sure. I really enjoyed it. Um, my guess is, completely unseen, but from a trailer, that the ratio of interesting, thought-provoking things for 40-year-old podcasters is going to be less than fan service. Yeah. Because they wanted JJ to just get get the house back in order. Yeah. Um, it's been great podcasting with you today. I'm I'd like to apologize to all the little all the fanboys and girls out there. I thought you were gonna say all the little fingers. All the I mean, I'm, do you miss him at all? I do. Yeah. I'll we pour a little it out felt, for all it our felt friends. It's weird for Braun to be to be getting uh Serviced by sex workers and not have little finger lurking in the shadows over there. Yeah, what's up with the workers there now? Like, are they— Is that a union shop? Is that a, That's where I'm going. Is that a union shop now? Because Littlefinger, definitely anti-union. He, uh, he, he would be pro, pro-agents. pro Yes. Right now. <laughs> that's right. He would definitely— He'd be like, I still have an agent. <laughs> I'm represented— by the CAA. Is that Bono? I don't know. I gotta stop. We gotta stop before we kill again. Great show. <laughs> Great job, Brace.
Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by Philo. Philo has over 50 of your favorite channels like Discovery, Hallmark, HGTV, Food, Network, AMC, VH1, Nickelodeon, Lifetime, and on and on. Enjoy live and on-demand TV plus unlimited recording for only $20 a month with no contract needed. Philo is available on Roku, iOS, Fire TV, Android TV, and Apple TV. Start your free trial instantly with just a phone number. To start your free trial, visit philo.tv slash the watch. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash the watch. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by the big homies at ADT. With ADT Real Protection, can get you all of the latest innovation in smart home security from ADT combined with 24-7 monitoring from the most trusted name in home security. Get the nation's number one smart home security provider and a system custom designed to fit your home. And get the ADT Go app with an SOS button for safety on the go. Learn more at ADT.com slash podcasts.